Luke 22, verses 24 to 46. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three, or you have denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said, to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So we we are really here in the thick of it, and and we have th- it, this passage picks up at such a funny place where you just yeah. want to like palm to the forehead like guys what are you doing like Jesus you know he it's this very amazing passage he he creates you know it's the institution of the Lord's Supper and then in great human fashion the the disciples begin to argue about who of them is the greatest in the kingdom so and and then everything flows out from there there's this really really uh, just fascinating interaction with Peter, uh, joined with Will Kinds. Will, what are your, what are your thoughts on on this passage and, and um, all the craziness going on in these final hours of Christ? I know. So, this who is the greatest dispute? It's happened once earlier in Luke, and it happens in Mark. Uh, Matthew and John don't mention it, at least not in this way. And 
So Luke has decided to mention it here at this point. And it makes you wonder, like, why would he mention this here? Now, we assume that, you know, the disciples are are disputing about this. Why would they make this dispute at this point? Yep. Uh, and I don't know if it follows out of the question of which of them was going to betray him, which is what we ended yesterday's reading with. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm too great to betray Jesus. I would never do something like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's not really clear. Um, but Jesus, you know, as Jesus likes to do, he turns the table on them and says, you know, yeah. it's not about who is the greatest. But at the same time, this time with this dispute, he does, he kind of turns the table and then sets it back right up again because he says, well, you stayed with me in my trials in verse 28. And so I'm going to assign to you the kingdom with me and you're going to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's like, don't try and be the greatest, but actually I'm going to make you (laughs) so great that you'll sit with me in my kingdom. But the way to get there is to stick with Jesus through trials. You're not going to avoid trials because of your, your Mm -hmm. great, because of your um, faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, which is what we looked at a couple of days ago with uh, Luke chapter 21 and mm-hmm. what Jesus is going to demonstrate in his own life. Mm-hmm. And then we get the Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And then the whole Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So what do you do with that passage, Will? Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting. He turns straight from this, who is the greatest dispute and there's this like verse 31 is so fascinating. Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. What a intimidating thing yeah. to say. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very, and you know, you're a, you're a scholar of the book of Job, especially, mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the, uh, you know, Satan demanding to have Job sort of encounter that Job never even knows about, you know? Uh, and, yeah. uh, it's a, it's a very, like we, we see this nuance of like, how does Jesus know this, you know, presumably through prayer and, uh, just, a a very unique moment. And then Peter, you know, he, uh, he's always, he's always wanted to be bold and brash. And he says, Lord, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for prison. I'm ready to, for death. Like let's ride. And, you know, Jesus very <laughs> gently kind of humbles him and says, no, I tell you, or maybe not gently. We don't really know how he says this. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I like to think it was gentle, but it might have just been like a get behind me Satan moment. It says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow till you've de- denied three times that you know me. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's another one of these moments where, where Jesus, he knows the frailty of his people. Mm. And, you know, I, I think there's some comfort to be derived here that, uh, you know, we I've heard this talked about um, in, in different you know church contexts that a lot of times, like when we fail, we uh, and sin and fall into temptation. There's this idea that we're we can have that we like really let God down, and you know God's reaction is like what? Not will like ah oh, no, <laughs> and you know, but the the fact is that the God knows our frailty. And he's not chosen us. He does not walk with us because he doesn't think we're going to let him down. And so we see like, we see Jesus's knowledge and we see his faithfulness and, and kindness here um, that he, he's willing to bear with Peter. And then I, I love, you know, there's, there's this uh, promise that 
before, you know, that blunt telling, but he says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Mm. And you know, that word turned again, it's, you know, when you, when you've turned back, when, when you've turned back around, strengthen your brothers. And that's where Peter is like, uh, I'm not going to need to turn around. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. why would I need to turn again? And, but we see, you know, not only does, does Jesus know Peter's propensities and, and, and weakness, but that he, he sees through that and that that's actually going to be a vessel that Peter, uh, in light of that will be one to build the church and to, to mm. strengthen his brothers and that Peter's failure Peter's denial is actually, you know, it's not just going to stop there, but it's actually going to become a venue for Mm -hmm. his ministry and for for him to speak of the the goodness and kindness of of the Lord. And so that that's amazing to me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Will. Well, um, just to go back to the Satan point in the connection with Job, an important point to make is that this passage and the Job passage both suggest that Satan is under God's control, right? Mm -hmm. Satan demands to have you, but I've prayed uh, that your faith may not fail. So it's almost like Satan has to ask permission or something like that, which is what we see Satan doing in the Job passage as well. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. even though it may be uh, a little frightening to envision this kind of situation happening, there's confidence that comes with it that Satan does nothing outside of God's control. Christianity is not a dualist religion where we've got two rival gods fighting with one another that have similar Mm. or equal power. That Christianity believes that God is all powerful. And so even Satan is underneath his control, Mm. which of course raises some other theological questions about how, why God allows Satan to do anything in this, in this earth. But Mm. here, I guess we get an example of that because it's through this trial that Simon or Peter uh, is able to grow in his faith and be used by God in the church. Uh, So Mm. then we move on to this somewhat confusing passage about the swords. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I don't have a good answer answer for why, you know, Jesus says uh, you need some swords and the disciples are like, well, we got two. He's like, yeah, that'll do. Uh, But (laughs) I think the more important passage, the more important Uh, verse in that section is when Jesus says in verse 37, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled and he was numbered with the transgressors, right? Mm. So this is the great exchange that Jason talks about a lot, um, which is, you know, Jesus takes on our sin so that we might have his righteousness. Mm-hmm. So he is willing to be numbered among the transgressors to fight despite the fact that he is completely without sin. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Which, I, I love that line that you mentioned from this encounter, you know, Jesus talks about Satan demanding Peter and Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Mm. And, you know, throughout Jesus' ministry in all the gospel accounts, we, we see him regularly withdrawing to a desolate place to pray. And at least in my imagination, I think I always, you know, assume Jesus is, goes out and is praying for the strength to fulfill his mission. He's, he's kind of praying for himself as he's on this, this death mission to redeem a people. And, you know, I'm sure that that was, you know, part of his prayer life. And, you know, we see him, uh, this very famous, let this cup pass from me prayer. And, but I think it's, it's cool to see here, Jesus, this, this demand for Peter from Satan was thwarted. It was overcome because Jesus was praying for Peter. 
And so we can we can imagine, you know, those times when Jesus is withdrawing. He he took moments to to pray that Peter's faith wouldn't fail him. And that we just see like Jesus' kindness and, and his love for Peter. And then, you know, how much greater can we read this knowing that we're told in scripture that now Jesus is seated and he's praying for us and and that his intercession has not stopped after his crucifixion, but that, you know, the, the spirit and the spirit of Christ and the person of Christ is praying that Wilkine's faith wouldn't fail. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that we see a God who cares for his people. We see a good shepherd here. So really encouraging. And, you know, as we, as we begin to close up, there's this famous prayer where disciples are falling asleep and Jesus is praying that, that this cup might pass from him, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So just as we close, Will, do you have any, any thoughts on, on that, you know, very famous moment in uh, Gethsemane? Yeah. yeah. Well, I like that you connected the prayer here to the prayer earlier for Peter. This, this little section we've read is very prayer oriented and it points to mm-hmm. the power of prayer, not only to change life's lives, which we see Jesus doing on Peter's behalf, not only Jesus's intercession on our behalf, but he is commanding the disciples here to pray that you may not enter into temptation. Uh, But Jesus also prays to the Father, and we get, he's using actually all of the elements of lament that we see in lament psalms and invocation, Mm -hmm. Father, and then a description of his pain, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, but then also an expression of his submission, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, which is an encouragement for us as we face suffering in our lives. We can follow Jesus's model even here, and we can bring that suffering to God uh, and ask that it would be relieved, um, but do it from a context of faith that ultimately God is sovereign and he knows what is best. Uh, But Mm -hmm. just believing that God is sovereign can discourage some people from prayer. They're like, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Uh, But Mm -hmm. here, prayer is part of that whole relational way in which God relates to us as his people. He wants to hear from us, even in the midst of our suffering. And Jesus demonstrates that for us as he heads to the cross and then repeats to the disciples this command to pray that you may not enter into temptation once again. And I think the challenge for us is not to be caught sleeping, <laughs> right? Mm. That that um, instead come to the Lord in prayer, though it is a powerful little image there where it says he found them sleeping for sorrow. Uh, mm. And I don't know if I've ever slept for sorrow before, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, that's the, the depth of their sorrow as uh, they... I think they're getting, they're starting to catch on what's happening yeah. here. They've been slow, yeah. uh, but they're catching on that there's something serious happening uh, with their Savior at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is just a an amazing passage, and it leads us straight to you know a passage like Hebrews four that tells us that we have a high priest who's been tempted in every way that we are, mm-hmm. yet without sin, mm-hmm. and and so Jesus, you know. It, it's awesome to meditate on these passages where he talks about, you know, he, he has authority and he knows he's going to lay down his life and people aren't taking it from a, him, but he's laying it down of his own accord. But that's not without great distress and great sorrow and, and all the the complex and heavy emotions that, that we know so well. And, 
yet that Jesus actually knows those emotions in a greater capacity than we do. And so it, it's very, very encouraging and, um, and life giving as, as we, you know, consider our own paths through sorrow, through trials. So a, a great word to close on today. And we're going to continue with the trial of Christ tomorrow. So for Will Kynes, this is Will Carlisle. We will see you tomorrow on our daily rhythm. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for Our Daily Rhythm.